You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 141, covering Firstborn and Bloodlines with Vishal Baradwaj. Friends! Hi, friends. Hi, Vishal. Hey, everybody. Hello. And Vishal. Vishal is here from far across this planet of yours to join us today to talk about your Earth Star Trek. Mm-hmm. That's your, all. Your old Earth Star Trek. Oh, is it? Is it old Earth? Is that... It, yeah. Well, you're well s- it's not your new Star Trek from with your fancy lens flares and, you know... Oh, lens flare joke. You're better yes. than that. Come on. Well, I don't want to give spoilers for those who haven't seen the second uh, film. Listen, film. it's on video now. We're allowed to spoil it now. And uh, Okay, then, then con, con, con. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. That is exactly my thought. Yep. Con, con, con. Why, why, why? Because we don't have any new ideas anymore. We're going to be we're going to be uh, revisiting that actually in our next uh, supplemental. In fact, and our pal Scott Zioko, who bet me ten dollars that it wasn't con, will be oh. showing up to to gloat. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, but it was Tony Todd as the Klingon. What's that? So, I think it was Tony Todd as the Klingon. Oh well. One Klingon. Was it really? I That's think so. I somewhere I just saw it. I saw that somewhere. That wouldn't surprise me, actually. That guy, you know, is made to play a Klingon, really. Yeah. But instead of talking about that, which we will talk about again in a couple of weeks, let's instead talk about... We'll be talking about other Klingons. The penultimate, penultimate episodes of... Uh, is that right? Is there is there a better word for that? Penultimate enough. The quadrultimate, maybe? The fourth to the last episodes. Jimmy Quattro. To me, the what? pencil ultimate. I don't know. Pencil ultimate. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Episodes of Next Gen, First Blood, and Born Lines. The Born Identity. Yes, or First. Yeah. I I always confuse these two because either of them could be called First Born and Bloodlines. They're we, we, pretty yeah, interchangeable. We about this, like they could easily be backwards, and it wouldn't change anything. And nope. since they barely have anything to do with what the episode is about anyway, it doesn't really matter. This is a fair point. Well, yeah, Matt, if anything, the Bloodlines makes a better uh, title for the the first one. Yeah, it does. It's Firstborn, right? Which, Matt, why don't you tell us what happened in Firstborn? All right. So, Worf is eagerly preparing for Alexander, who, to my surprise, is still alive. His upcoming bar mitzvah, where he stops being a child, briefly becomes a man, and then gets stabbed with pain sticks until he is a warrior. Worf is clearly excited, and in the tradition of all appearances of Alexander, disappointed in the boy when he doesn't do it right. Noted child psychologist Picard recommends that Worf take the kid to the upcoming Klingon Ren Fair. Luckily, Worf has some vacation time coming up and... What, wait, again? <laughs> anyway, so Alexander has good times at the Ren Fair and is deciding that maybe being a warrior is actually a pretty sweet gig in a warrior culture when he and Worf get mugged. Luckily, the day is saved and Alexander is spared a superhero origin when some other Klingon calling himself definitely not Alexander from uh, the future shows up and saves the day. <laughs> It seems that the Duras family is still taking shots at Worf, even though we thought they all, that we all put a pin in that shit last year, and they're trying to kill him with stabbing. So the Enterprise decides to extend Worf's vacation so that they can all solve a mystery. First up, DS9 for a quick Quark cameo. Yay! Yay. And then Quark points us in the direction of the Duras sisters. Boo! Boo! Back at Casa de Worf's place, definitely not Alexander from the future, is trying to help definitely Alexander from the present to be a warrior. Worf is helping by not constantly yelling and throwing away his three na- uh, Oh, excuse me. Worf is helping by not constantly yelling and throwing away his three nastiest whipping belts. <laughs> They've almost got him trained when current day Alexander decides to bail rather than kill anyone. You see that, Wesley? Not killing. Think about it. <laughs> anyway, so the Enterprise catches up with the Duras sisters involved in some legitimate something or other. I don't know. Not crime! And then they bring them over to the Enterprise for a leisurely chat and figure out that no, nobody in the Duras family really gives a shit about Worf anymore. We're really into this cup and ball now. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at Worf's house, not Alexander from the future goes terminated and decides to disrupt Alexander to death with a disruptor. Luckily, Worf appears at the last minute to do, some, to do something future Alexander hasn't gotten in years. Having the shit beat out of him. <laughs> So then future Alexander explains that something's got to be done about Worf's kids, and he grows up to be assholes and accidentally caused Worf to die when he was trying to make Klingons be peaceful, which is frankly hilarious. And Worf tells him that, whether Worf died or not, Alexander was doing what he thought was right, and that Worf is proud of him and wants him to be his own man. 
And then they hug, and it's actually pretty sweet, and Worf resolves to stop beating his kid, and we're done with that joke. Guy still doesn't know Wesley's name, though. I bet we're not done with that joke. I bet when Alexander shows up again on Deep Space Nine, you're going to resurrect it just like we do Mexican Scotty and everything else. I bet you're right. Jokes don't die on this show. Nope. This should have been terrible. It really should. Well, I mean, we were prepared for it to be terrible as we were coming up to it. This like, is. Uh, hey, Matt, Alexander comes back from the future. This is yet another of my season seven follies where I thought it was bad and it actually turned out to be pretty okay. Yep. And you know how much I love Klingon episodes. Somehow, and I swear, I I'm... Do you come back for all of them. I'm not doing this to you. This just happens. This was the only slot we had open. You said, give me something in Season 7, and this is all we yeah. had. I, I I, I'm telling you, when when DS9 starts, I will only show up for the really crappy Bajoran culture episodes. <laughs> because they're people? Yeah, but this, I mean, even for you, even for you who is on the record as not being a particular fan of all the Klingon culture stuff. I like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a good, it, aside from a couple of really stupid points at the end, it's a really good episode. Yeah, up until it's, like the fifth act where you start yeah. getting into the time travel nonsense. It's it's nice. Yeah. Be, because, okay, a couple of weeks ago we had this thing. This was my big problem against um, the Wesley Journey's episode. End, right? Yeah, thank you. Journey's end. Um, was that Wesley has always wanted to be in Starfleet and suddenly he's acting like all this pressure and he never wanted to do in the first place, which was bullshit. But here, we've gotten this from Alexander from day one, so it totally feels like the payoff of something that's been building this whole time. Yeah, like the whole theme of Worf and Alexander's relationship is that expectations. Is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> is Worf has. Worf cannot. Alexander cannot live up to what Worf thinks is a good kid. It's a microcosm of the Picard and everyone relationship. Yes. <laughs> and in Worf, it's particularly. Yeah. Yeah. And in Worf's case, it's particularly twisted because he's. He's trying to live up to the Klingon ideal, not just being, you know, a good dad or a, yeah. having a good son. It's like, no, this, you know, and you yeah, see I that have to be the pinnacle especially. of my entire culture. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that, especially that uh, in the first uh, or second act when you've got the, the, the reenactment and watch just like goes full tilt into participating in it. And, yep. Which was actually a pretty cool scene. You got, it you, is. they go down to what Matt calls the, uh, the, the Klingon Renfest, which is about right. And everyone's eating, uh, like, uh, right, gawk. gawk on a stick and asking and, uh, Worf what everything means. It, it's actually quite familiar to me as to what sort of thing it is, because uh, in, in, like, in South Indian Hindu culture, you have, uh, like, large myths and all that played out like this in this very theatrical way with two people jumping around. Well, I was, I was going to ask, do they have Renaissance fairs where you're from, or it's I assume they have more stuff not for white people? <laughs> um, it's not, it's not as sort of anachronistic as a Renaissance where it's a uh -huh. normal part of festivals. You have, oh, it's okay. like uh, in, in Karnataka where I'm from, you have this thing called the Yakshagana where you have literally two people exactly like this in fabulous costumes. Like reenacting some mythical thing? Reenact, yes, reenacting things from the Ramayana, the Mahabharata, you know, all these big epics, all these, mm -hmm. uh, Tales of uh, gods and demons and now, you know. are they religions that people believe, or are they just stories that people like to tell? Um, because we got into some debate about this with the Klingon stuff, whether yeah. this is actually a religion or just sort of a cultural thing. Um, look, from my reading of it, it's it's religion, but it's not religion in the way, let's say, most Western religions are defined. It's some, it's much more of a like an allegory. It's a good, yeah, it's a good yarn. It's mythology. It's also religion, but it's not reverential to ninety percent of the people watching it in that moment. Sure. Well, I guess I guess what I'm asking is, do people take it as a literally true thing? Because that's kind of what I was trying to figure out with the Klingon stuff: whether it's meant to be, I, uh, you know, a story, or if they really think it's reenacting a literal thing that happened. I would like to say no, but I'm sure there are people who take it very seriously. <laughs> well, and I get the feeling Worf probably takes all the yeah. Klingon stuff entirely literally. Yeah. There, I'm pretty sure, you know, and this is just my reading into it, there will be people like Worf who would take that on both levels, on, on it being very real and also it being real because it's a part of his culture. Mm -hmm. You know, it's important because it's a part of his culture, but it's real to him also in some, you know, it happened way. Well, Matt, this kind of ties into your bad thing. Hmm. So it does. Why don't you tell us that? So there's a scene where we've got old Alexander teaching young Alexander about Klingon myths. And we've got Alexander starts asking questions about why this doesn't make sense. And old Alexander basically tells him to shut up. 
Um, I remember a very similar conversation between me and a teacher back at Sunday school. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't tell kids to shut up when they ask you why your religion doesn't make any sense. You need to suck it up and tell them that their religion is stupid and it doesn't make sense. You just need to believe in it. <laughs> I um I may have taken this one a little bit personally. <laughs> I was gonna say that it's first of all it's just a show. You should really just relax. Hmm. And and secondly, yeah, it's. I mean, I still think the point of it is to learn the lesson, not to question the like. The point isn't and, that the story is literally true. The point is you're supposed to learn a stupid moral from it. Mm-hmm. The problem I, is and, when they when they're trying to pass it off as true, right? As well uh, the, as being a moral, right? The the thing about uh, <laughs> the thing that I read from it is that. Uh, uh, most Hindu myths, especially, you know, the, I, I guess the older ones in some ways, because, you know, let's say pre 2000 years ago, okay. most of them don't actually have a moral. They're like Greek myths, you know, there's, there's no, it's just here's some cool no shit lesson. that happened. Right. Yeah. Here's this weird thing that happened or, you know, that, right. It's not a moral tale. So. It, it, there are myths, obviously, later and reinterpretations of those old myths, which are like, you know, shut up. This is, this is a lesson. But, well, I uh, suppose, right. I suppose the Bible's like that in a way too, because I mean, mm. okay, for instance, you got Noah's Ark, you got the mm. Great Flood. The 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 moral, I guess, is don't sin or God will get pissed off. Like, there's not really I mean, a, a it, clear that, moral that's kind there. Kind of a theme running through the Bible. Yeah, through the Old Testament, certainly. And uh-huh. and and the Hindu version of that myth, um, this little fish appears in this uh, pond to this uh, sage, and it keeps growing and keeps talking to him, and he keeps putting into into larger and larger things until you know it's like has to go into the ocean and then he says you know what big floods going to come you might as well get a bunch of things in a boat and i'll see you for safety and they uh they tie this uh giant snake as the rope from the horn on the fish and uh, you know they ride it through the flood that doesn't sound and there is no moral uh thing there that be does... nice to fish i thought would be the moral there <laughs> that doesn't sound much different than some of these klingon things though really yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like actually, time, in some the, ways... Tom Kalis wrote a fish. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it Klingon culture does seem a, in at once more uh, uh, more steeped in Eastern styles of myth, which don't necessarily have a moral well, lesson to... Uh, although I think, in particular, the one that Matt's using as an example did. It was, you know, mm, don't lie yes. or whatever. Yeah. And I think a lot of the there's a thing about uh, about how cowardice is bad because right yeah it's about Kalis' and... brother not wanting to fight him right and I can see how that would be a bad thing in Klingon like hmm. culture but I can also see Alexander being all like why did he but I mean, maybe he just didn't want to fight him but that's what I'm saying in Klingon culture maybe the whole point is to teach children you don't just say honor is good you show them an illustration of where honor is you know it's like. It's like if someone handed you a Superman comic and said, here is Superman being a good guy. It would teach you mm. what a good guy means mm. rather than saying being a good guy is this. You watch Superman do it and you're like, oh, I get it now. And you don't necessarily yeah. say, why would a yellow sun give him powers? Why does he shoot stuff out of his eyes? Why? That's not the point of the story. Yeah. No, yeah, see, now you're later. just talking like a nerd. Right, exactly. <laughs> so Alexander's a big nerd is what we can get out of all this. Well, and I Matt, certainly believe that. And Matt thinks it's a bad thing. <laughs> That's fair. I my my big bad thing was that stupid time travel twist. Yes. Yep. It's like this could have been such a sweet story about Alexander and Worf and how there's this gap between them and how they, Alexander's just never going to live up to his expectations and then it turns into this stupid thing. Yeah, it's like we're out, we've got like maybe 10 minutes left in the episode. Yeah. And then suddenly this Klingon who we've been following since the beginning just pulls a disruptor on Alexander. Yeah. He's going to shoot him in his bed. Now, what would have happened if he did that? I okay. Probably if... nothing, because I mean it's Star Trek, so we got the branching timelines theory. Yeah, working. that's true. Hmm. I think it would have been better if this uh, Kimtar was mm-hmm. just, as he said, a, a friend of the family. Yeah, friend of the family. This this sort of this person who is that's an interesting story. This guy who's not related to the family, but in some ways has to uphold their, you know. It's, um, uh, their beliefs and their honor yeah. much more than even the people in the family. So he yeah, sort of decides that Alexander is not worthy. Right. Yeah. It's sort of, it's what Worf ends up being to the House of Martok in DS9. Mm. Yeah. I don't understand why Kern just can't go have a kid and shut up. Yeah. 
Mm. Well, just Worf's the older brother. That's the problem. Oh, I see. Oh, firstborn. I get yeah. it now. Ah, yeah. it makes sense. Still could have been called Bloodlines, though. Yep. Easily. Yeah. First Blood. <laughs> yes, it should have been called Die Hard First Blood. Should have been called no, Blood, it Bloodborne. It, sh- it should have been called Kirox Battle Time. Yes. <laughs> We're going to bring back the uh, the alternate titles when we get to Deep Space Nine, I think. We need to remember yes. that. But yep. uh, that was a fun little exercise, I think. Yes, I agree. Uh, since we've already done our bad things, why don't you uh, go ahead with yours, Michelle? Yes, um, I, well, obviously I don't really like Klingon culture episodes that much. But this What do you mean, was, obviously? Uh, you keep showing up for them. Yeah, you're here for every I single know. one of them. <laughs> yes, and I keep reiterating the fact that I hate them, Kim. I'm sorry. We can never be together. <laughs> oh, she just left my house sobbing. <laughs> but yes, um, I, I generally, I mean, it's like there's that... Uh, that reenactment scene, which I told you is fine. It's very theatrical. I've seen actual, you know, myths reenacted like that. Right. But come on, these people are supposed to be Klingons and, and there's no contact between their battlets. Yeah, that's a good point. They make a yeah, point a of sort surprising. of hitting wide of the mark and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, then and especially considering, you know, wailing on the other dude. Yeah, he's like, hey, you hit me. What the hell, man? Yes, see, our, our theory, about, theory about that, dude, these two were like the out-of-work Klingon actors who just wanted to do musicals and they have to do all this stuff anyway, so. <laughs> well, this isn't the main Renfest, like, out, you know, mm. on the on the home world. This is out in the frontier somewhere. These guys are not exactly the well-known performers. Hmm. They're the, uh, they're like the 10th tier off-off Klingon Broadway guys. <laughs> My other bad thing, Lursa and Betor's boob window. That is a bad thing. See, you talked about the boob window, and I thought you were talking about it like it was a good thing. I didn't realize you were against no, I, it. I, I seemingly I put it in my good thing in the notes, but it was a bad thing. Oh, okay. Lursa and Betor, the, the uh, Dura sisters, uh, I believe. I, I just want to state for the record that I'm not against boob windows per se. I think they're you know wonderful sure. additions to the aesthetic, impractical armors of people who do not exist. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Don't want to insult any boob case, windows out there. You know, where they look like uh, fungal growths on trees. Right. Uh, they're not even the same color as the rest of their bodies. It's just, no. why? It's not so much a boob window as like a boob, like like a, a, a portrait. Here's a picture of two different boobs that don't belong on this body. Henry portrait of a boob window. Right. <laughs> Famous the, uh, boobs of Klingon kind now available. <laughs> <laughs> I just picture there being a shot of Worf's face. The, this um, was the cleavage of Moog. No, not Moog. Of Kalis himself. Right. <laughs> the uh, the Dura sisters, I believe we saw them last in uh, Redemption, were the ones trying to, uh, you know, turn the the, the Klingons uh, into civil war so they could take over, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And I like, Matt, your reaction is, oh, good, them again. And then it turns out, well, no, they didn't want to be involved in this either. Nope. They, get, because, they were with child. Because, oh, yeah. Well, yes, both of them were with child. <laughs> with one child. With one child, somehow. That's how it works with them. Yep. Now, um, I like the idea that Alexander, old Alexander remembers, uh, let's see, who would try to kill my father? I know, the Duras sisters. Let me frame them. Yep. Yes, I spent 30 years of my life being a diplomat in this timeline, but eh, the Duras the thing, sisters. Yeah, good the enough. The thing is, if, if he hadn't gotten his, got his dates off right, he probably would have gotten away with it. Yeah, probably. Here's a here's a thing, and and I'm not going to get too much into this because nitpicky nerd crap. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Shouldn't they know these guys show up in generations. Yes, mm-hmm. and die. Yep. Is that enough time for her to have this child that she supposedly had, which then I was indicates about that too? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my god, did they just kill her like a pregnant woman? Well, not that. But this dagger that they produce has a symbol on it that indicates her child, meaning her child lived in the future. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Mm. Well, mm. I mean, the, like they mentioned the very fact that, you know, that Alexander... That spoilers changed. for generations, by the way. Oh, yeah. Spoilers for generations, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Those guys... I mean, first of all, they could have forged that knife this, as soon as, as uh, the kid... As she was... Or even as, as soon as she knew she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except... He did, I don't think he forged it. I think he stole it. Well, yeah, because yeah. Alexander is a thief. Right. He he Liar. went to the Klingon sub, surplus store and said, hey, you got one of them Duras daggers. <laughs> right, and, and if like, one yeah. exists with, with uh, Lurs, let's say, Lursa's child's symbol on it, 
Hmm. Then that means that child must have existed at some point, right? No, no. They he, the problem was that he got it cheap because it was misprinted. Oh. On the other hand, you know, the other nitpicky nerd thing is, is that now that Kim Tar has changed the timeline, mm-hmm. maybe in his timeline the Dura sisters lived. What did he change that would make it so that they would blow well, up? He just, that doesn't, he just changed showed up. attitude. Yeah. Oh, well, but... And that was the lesson of the episode, Algar. Oh, instead of you nitpicking, I should have just... Oh, damn it. Should have stopped asking questions and just paid attention to the moral. There you go. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, tell me. Now, now you're acting like a religious person. <laughs> tell me a good thing, Vishal. <laughs> ah, yes. It's a Klingon episode I actually like. Yeah. And the guy who plays future Alexander is pretty good. And he, of course he is because he played a lot of other roles. He'll famously play, uh, Odo's father, not quite father. Yeah, Dr. Mora. Mora on DS9. And, and you pointed out, I didn't catch it until the voice made it obvious mm. to me. That he played uh, the defector in the defector. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Which it's it's his so that, like that's a couple of really great characters. From yeah. Trek. Yeah. Three. It's, good it's his eye to disdainful disdainful smirk ratio. That's like yep. very distinct. You mentioned he has a really good eye narrowing move. Yes. That's his like signature move. He just narrows his eyes. He's like the anti Gavron. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, no, he was quite good. So, so let's be clear about your whole Klingon thing. Mm. Are there any other Klingon episodes you like, or is this really the only one? Um, I'm sure there are. But I mean, I don't want to put you on the general. spot. There's a bunch, and you probably don't remember them all right off the top of your yeah. head. But. No, I think I like I like the movie ones especially. Mm-hmm. What about all the DS9 stuff when we get into the Dominion War and Martok and all that uh, stuff? I love Martok. I'm on record. You know, Martok is favorite Klingon, best Klingon. Just like, uh, well, it's a toss-up between who's the tailor and... Uh, Garrick? Uh, Garrick, yeah. Him uh-huh. and the main bad guy is Cardassians. I love Dukat, those two. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. Know. It's been a while. Yeah. You can watch along with us. Yeah. Yay. Only two weeks. Well, no, a few more weeks. No, we gotta go. We gotta, we gotta do the movies too. We gotta do mm. Insurrection first, right? I understand. Insurrection? Oh yeah, no, I thought it's Generations. Yeah, I know. Insurrection. No, but I was I was trying to think of something I really wasn't looking forward to doing, and Insurrection is the first thing that popped into my head. Ugh, gotta get through that I first. I don't remember it being terrible. I just remember it being F. Murray Abrahami. <laughs> I mean, even if it's not Insurrection, then you know we've still got Nemesis. I remember yeah. liking Nemesis better than Insurrection. I I liked Nemesis except for the stupid like actiony buggy bit. Yeah, see, that's probably Matt's favorite part because he loves himself a Dune buggy. I do. <laughs> Matt, tell me a good thing about this episode. Does it feature Dune buggies? It does not. Oh, there's uh, actually some pretty great scenes in this episode, but uh, the one that really got me is where you got old Alexander talking to young Alexander just as he's about to go to sleep. And he's all like, ah, your father, today you were defending, you You didn't able to defend your father. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you like to do that? And I was like, I would like to do that. It's a really nice scene that makes me, that actually convinces me that Alexander being a warrior isn't completely terrible. I, I mean, I've been thinking that since the kid showed up for the first time. It's like, <laughs> someday you'll be a warrior. I'm like, he's an inch tall. No, he won't be. <laughs> yeah, that very first shot we got of them walking down the corridor where Dorn is seven feet tall and this yep. kid is like three apples high. Someday you'll be a warrior, son. Ah, uh, what? Huh? <laughs> I can't even see your knees, father. I, my mother just died. Yeah. But that's when a Klingon, you know, like, well. I'm a real boy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Christ. Alexander Roshenko, little puppet man. <laughs> little wooden boy! <laughs> now, it's, it, it made me wonder, does every Klingon, like every single Klingon in Klingon society become a warrior, or is it just sort of an elite thing? And I don't know the answer to that. Mm. Yeah, because it's so, you only ever get to see the house of this and the house of that. You know, surely there's just some guy who wants to make falafel. Right. The, there, like, there's this is the most honorable falafel ever. Maybe they don't even care if it's honorable. Maybe they just like to make falafel and that's that. No, the, yeah. the thing is, these guys have to exist. Like, we know that there's, like, Klingon mm. scientists and there's got to be, like, Klingon shopkeeps and stuff. But mm. it's really the warriors that want, that run the culture. Yeah, you know? but it's, but does every Klingon little boy want to become a warrior is my point. I feel it's like, sort of for like, the most part, yeah, it's probably like, a, you know, wanting to grow up to be a cop or a fireman or something. like yeah, that. Or an astronaut, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but very few people get to be an astronaut, is my point. Mm. 
Like, Worf wanting Alexander to be one doesn't make him one. I feel like, you know, that's probably one of the big flaws with Klingon culture that we never really see, is that it's got an overabundance of warriors and not a whole lot of everything else. Well, and it's, they talk about heavily, that... Good. Uh, it's heavily based on uh, Japanese samurai culture, I'm guessing. Yeah, but so. samurais are a very elite part of the society. They weren't yeah. the whole culture. So, they were these special guys. Yeah, but we only ever get to see the Klingons version of these special guys. Yeah. Hmm. That's fair. I feel like they're the only ones that really leave the planet. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess because their fleet would be largely an empire and they sort of rebuilt, but they're still very like battle heavy. The, the classification of warrior as a job is really sort of Yeah. Know, it's far ranging. So like you've got like the the military is made up entirely of warriors. Well, of course. Mm. The navy is made up entirely of warriors. Right. And and sort of the I'm guessing the 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 Allied Civil Service is also warriors, but like you know, bureaucratic warriors. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, those are my it favorite kind of warriors. Taxes, but those are- that's why that's why you get guys like that fat guy that was a the emperor who clearly not a good warrior, but still considered one because he's in charge. Now, see, I love me, I love me a good action bureaucrat. And before you say that's a stupid kind of character, I got two words for you: Agent Coulson. Yep, action oh, yes. bureaucrat. <laughs> No question. Um, my good thing was, uh, well, Riker in general is fantastic in this episode. The whole B-plot is him helping to solve this whole mystery. Mm-hmm. And specifically when he has his scene with Quark, which uh, having uh, technically according, you know, by the rules of this show, I haven't seen Deep Space Nine yet. Yeah. Yeah, of course I have, and I love it, and I know it, and we've been referencing it this whole time. We've spent most of uh, the two episodes talking about DS9. Yeah, well, it's very close. It's so close we can we can taste it, and and we got a character from it right here. But that's my yep. thing. We got a little taste of the show, and, and for the first time I felt like a Ferengi is not terrible. I see the appeal of this character, Quark, and it makes me want to watch this other show I've never seen before, hypothetically. You know what I mean? Yep. And I kind of like that. I kind of because this show Next Gen has not done a good job of marketing uh, Deep Space Nine to me to this nope. point. All I know what is I would like to have seen, and this is purely because of my uh, uh, fetish for uh, Terry Farrell, would have been her talking to Riker. Well, yes, that would have been fine. That that also would have hey, been acceptable. Remember that time you were on the station? Yes, yes, I do. Oh, Terry yes, Farrell. Yep. No, Riker, Riker absolutely would have hooked up with Dax if he had the chance. Yep. There's no chance. And Dax would have hooked, hooked up right back. one of them. Yeah, probably. He's probably hooked up with multiple Daxes over time. <laughs> he got there before Worf, just like Troy. Yep. It's Troy all over again. <laughs> it's like he was probably male Dax's wingman and then female Dax's fling. Right. But or, it's, you know, either or. I'm pretty sure Riker is uh, flexible. Probably. We've, we've had that theory yeah. before. Yeah, like yeah, he, and I think um, like no, it wouldn't shock me. I I think no. uh, especially for that episode where you know Riker falls in love with that uh, uh, monogender androgynous right, right. Yeah, I I think uh, didn't Jonathan Frake say he wished that it was like a a, a male pers- uh, yeah. actor yeah. so that it would have been sort of more hard hitting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. But but getting back to the Quark thing, it's really for the first time the show showed me what this Deep Space Nine is all about, that it's a little shady, that it's a little grimy, that, yeah. like, this Quark guy is is a shady character, and it's a, char- a kind of character I've never seen done well on DS9, or on, on Next Gen before. And it's like, I like this guy, I want to see more of him. And it's because they paired him up with Riker. Riker's the only character I think that could talk to Quark. Mm. Mm. I think everyone else would just be completely screwed over by him, but Riker kind of gets him, and, you know. D- Data talking to Worf would have been funny, but Riker talking to him would get the plot going better. Yeah, absolutely. Data would have absolutely been funny, but as far as being able to get information Mm. out of him. Yeah. Mm. There's not enough data in this episode. uh, That's true. I would have loved to have seen that night at at DS9 with Riker Mm. and Quark's bar. Oh, yeah, because he apparently wanted the Dabo tables and Quark, quote, didn't have enough money to pay him. Yep. (laughs) Uh Of course he didn't. I just love any sort of science fiction where nothing happens. What do you mean? You just know. where you like, sort of enjoy like you said, the... Yeah, where you enjoy people just, like, inhabiting the future. Yeah. Well, it it could have been... This episode, without the time travel element, would have been yeah. that. 
It and just that, would have I been like a, a father and a son dealing with their issues, and it wouldn't yeah. have had to have been a time travel show. And apparently it was originally written that way, and someone decided it needed to be more science fiction-y, and that's unfortunate. So you slap, like, the least likely time travel element in right at the end. And we never see him arrive in the in the no. present. We never see him leave. He just sort of vanishes. And it's I, like time travel in the show has been so rare. We've pointed this out. We thought yeah. it was a cli- one of those cliches, but it's actually not happened very often. Yeah, no, I'm I love, guessing uh, that. At uh, the end, I'm guessing Worf goes to meet. Uh, oh no, please go ahead. Sorry, Worf goes to meet Alexander in the in the um, holodeck for their training thing, and mm-hmm. Alexander's like, "Where's what's his face? That guy who wasn't me." And Worf's <laughs> like, "He had to go." Uh Live on a farm. <clears throat> yeah, he loves you very much. He wanted you to have this hug from him. Will I ever see him again? No, uh, no. I'm not going to answer that because it's just too obvious. <laughs> Worf's like Marty. What a nice name. <laughs> All right. So, we, anyway, sorry, I, I'm thinking. No, I'm think. I'm thinking that when this episode was written, they didn't know that Worf was coming back on DS9. Yeah, they no. almost so certainly okay, we can didn't. just tie this off, you know. Well, it does feel. Matt said it. It feels like the end of Alexander's arc. Yeah, which mm. it absolutely does. It, it feels like they were tying up a loose end, and when they bring him back, that makes sense because we're almost done. Yeah, when they bring it's him like back, that last scene of Harry Potter, you know, where they're on a train station with like tons of kids for some reason. Right. Not necessary. Is that, is that yeah. what you mean? Tons hey, of yeah, forced. Named children. Forced. Right. Got gotcha. you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you do the math it, it, on this tangent here since we're doing it. Yeah, sure. It's Harry Potter, you know, they're like 28 or something and they already have three kids each. And you're like, okay, so you just like finished killing the guy off and then just went off and had sex and babies. Well, they're wizards, Fischel. Yeah. Come on. True. That's the answer to every... See, I, Star Trek doesn't have that. We got to come up with explanations for stuff. If this was yeah. a Harry Potter show... Oh, they're wizards. That's why. Just wizards. It's they're fine. wizards. Yep. It's totally so, why did Fred slash George have to die, I ask you? <sighs> I forget which one. Why did a lot of people have to die? You know why? Because they had red hair. That's why. Yep. Yeah. Because that's what happens. Because my mm. people. <laughs> there was there was one more nerdy thing that I wanted to bring up, which we don't we're not gonna fixate on a lot because it just makes my head hurt. But that's Alexander's age. Yeah. We we should address this at least briefly. Yes. He was conceived in season two, born presumably between, between two and three. Yeah. Hmm. Showed up in season three and he was already two or three years old. Now he's supposed to be almost 13. Yeah. What? I just, don't. Just what? I like there, there's a point where he said, where he mentions that his mother died. Uh, when, when he was, was three. three. Right. I'm like, mm. I'm pretty sure you're three right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At best, he's he's like six. Yeah. Yeah, you were, you were enjoying a mud bath with uh, Troy's mom and a bunch of weird drugged out animals like oh, right. two seasons ago. Yep. Yeah, that's about right. Now he's ready to be a warrior. See, my assumption mm-hmm. had been that Worf was just going to start the getting ready for it early because that's the kind yeah. of parent Worf is. Yeah, that makes total sense. If they hadn't said age 13, I would have bought all of that. Left yeah. that out. yeah, but that that called attention to it and just made me go, God, why? No, he's not there. And, ah! <laughs> and again, I would have thought that the warrior culture, the Klingon, like the Klingons would have started at age like five. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can lift a bathlet, you can use a bathlet. Well, the thing is, they talk. They already talk about how he's way, way behind in his, uh, mm. his yeah. uh, studies and stuff, which actually is uh, my quote, so... Okay. Okay. Let's pop that in there. There's something very important I want to discuss with you. It concerns your future. Sit. As time passes, a boy inevitably becomes a man. But what is not inevitable is that a man becomes a sword. What? No, I meant warrior. The path of a warrior begins with the first rite of ascension. Is that when they hit you with pain sticks? No, no, that is the second rite. Oh. Delightful. Mm Mm-hmm. But, um... Because not a very good Klingon. And also, apparently, it turns out Worf's kind of a lazy father. Well, and, and that was the best thing of all in um, in Memory Alpha, was Dorn acknowledging the fact that Worf is a terrible father. Yep. He's like, yeah, he's he's not very good. Yeah, no, we were talking about that. It's, it's good because it's, like, it's not just that he's written as a bad father. Like, no, it's not bad writing where they're trying not- to make him a good father and failing. It's good writing in that he's just a bad father. <laughs> they deliberately wrote him as a bad parent. Yeah. 
which I find hilarious. <laughs> All right. Any any further points to make before we press forward um, here? The flip side of that age thing is that it's nice that uh, the the actor they got for playing Kim Tar, future Alexander, is older than Worf. Yeah. Right. That well, worked. It's supposed to be 40-some years in the future, so yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. He's middle-aged. He's, right. he's seen yeah. more than Worf has. Right. Absolutely. That was nice. Yep. Matt, so anything else? Down, father. <laughs> I love you, Alexander of the future. I hope that's who you are, because otherwise this is going to be really weird. I hope no one's watching this, because if any Klingon ever sees me so- telling my son I love him, I'm going to get the shit kicked out of me. <laughs> what are you kidding? We do that son. all the time. Lighten up. Oh. Son, would you like a beating for old time's sake? <laughs> yes, Dad. Thank you, Father. <laughs> oh, no, there's no Dad. He's not that formal with him. No. It's Father. Yes. <laughs> Must call him Father. All right. We'll call me Father. All right. So you want to move on to uh, Firstborn? Well, I certainly don't want to. <laughs> I'd much rather spend the hour talking about Firstborn and just leave Bloodlines out of it, but uh, we got to... I- I think the only note I have left here is that the universal translator does not work during the oh, great yeah, opera weird. scene. Oh, yeah, when they have the whole singing Klingon thing, which is pretty cool, by the way. Yeah. They have this whole singing it's, bit. It's just so that Beverly can have a line. <laughs> what are they saying? It's well, my own. Listen to your universal translator, you dumbass. I like that all his human friends are turning to him like, what, is, what does this mean, Worf? What about this? What, you know, it'd be like if I ever visited Dubai. Mm. Yeah. And I'd just be Are pointing those at it. worms gluten free? <laughs> I do like uh, Worf offering Jordy a bag of fried oh, guy. No, no, if you ever visit Dubai, it'll be very hilarious because I do not speak Arabic at all. <laughs> well, no, I'd just be pointing at stuff and saying, is it is it okay to point at this guy or is he going to cut my hand off? <laughs> Michelle, what's this guy saying? I don't know. Yeah. All right. Let's, I suppose, press forward to bloodlines. Right. The only reason I want to do this episode is because Vishal wrote a summary. Otherwise, I would just skip it entirely. <laughs> the only reason I'm doing this episode because is because I wrote a summary and yes. I thought I was writing a summary for the previous one. <laughs> we all and did. And I have no reason to stick around whatsoever. Uh, Goodbye. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. You hey. signed a contract. Oh, man. All right, Vishal, tell us about Bloodborne. Line, line first. Lines of blood. Lines of blood. Line lines. <laughs> Lied. <laughs> it. It was a two-for-one sale on surprise father-son plots that week in the writer's room. <laughs> Worf got to meet his future son, and this time it's Picard's turn. Damon Bok, the Ferengi whose son Picard killed, shows up on the Enterprise via, via a jury-rigged holographic stripogram probe and threatens to kill Jason Vigo. Him? <laughs> Jason is the son of jail of one of JLP's many short-lived dalliances. Jeez, he seems to have more women in each port than Riker even. Or Mr. Mott the Barber. <laughs> they locate JLPJR, spelunking <laughs> in a cave somewhere. Spelunking. Yeah, we'll get back to this. <laughs> He's an unemployed extreme sports enthusiast because of course he is. With horrible hair. Because of course. And Crusher confirms he's Picard's son, then goes off to weep quietly somewhere. <laughs> Picard shows Jason his collection of archaeological doodads, is silently crushed when he doesn't want tea Earl Grey hot, and does the kind of awkward bonding that has come to define Picard's relationship with all children, even the adult ones. Mm. They keep Jason on board for his protection, uh, also just because he has bad hair and they don't want to unleash him upon the population, mm. <laughs> while investigating the probogram. They discover Bok is not a daemon anymore. And some CSI technobabble later pin him down to somewhere in the Zendi Kabu system. Uh, on the way there, Jason attempts to mate with everything that moves. Bok shows up in Picard's bedroom to make the same threat again. Hey, that's Q's territory. They're sure he's not hologramming it in again and go off to investigate, but not before Data informs JLP that his son is not just an extreme sports spelunker and lousy pickup artist, but a petty delinquent too. <laughs> Another cloaked probe shows up and promptly explodes, leaving behind some dazzling Morse code. Data intuits that it's actually a coded message in Ferengi Pig Latin. Turns out it's exactly the same thing Bok has been saying all episode. I kill your son. I kill you. Kill you now. <laughs> Later. Something. Ugh. 
Fox shows up in Picard's ready room again to moan about his son again, makes the same threat again, then disappears. Jason, meanwhile, has a sudden and severe case of bad acting. Uh, I mean, seizure, seizure, seizures, seizures. <laughs> Are you having a seizure? <laughs> Seeing that acting, I think I did. <laughs> that was way he has better a than <laughs> Yes, his was just like. Thank you very much. He has a rare condition that is hereditary or the cause of a mutation. So Crusher goes out to find out which uh, with a microcellular scan. Also to weep some more. Jordi and Data think Bok is doing some, using some kind of subspace transporter to get past the shield. So this is like 15 or like at least 12 years before uh, Abrams, fake Scotty. Right? Yeah. Fake Scotty invents it in fake Star Trek. <laughs> Uh, Jason, meanwhile, is off spelunking in the holodeck, uh, and Picard and him bond some more through the power of climbing of Paramount Backlot Wall of Caves Act. <laughs> Bok attempts to transport Jason off the ship, and a transporter tug of war ensues for about 20 seconds, uh, with the Enterprise finally losing. Picard actually attempts to physically hug his son back off the transporter, <laughs> and that is just lovely to watch. Another probe appears and Bok makes the same threat again. They trace the beam and Picard uses the same technology Bok has been using to beam over to Bok's ship, phases drawn. Picard does the usual parlor scene and reveals that Jason is not his son. Bok had his DNA resequenced at some point in who knows when without him noticing it. Uh, resequenced to make it appear that he's Picard's son, leading to his seizures. And informs Bok's cohorts, cohorts that not only is there no ransom for Jason, but that Bok isn't even a daemon anymore. And they should just hand him over to the Ferengi and collect whatever reward they're obviously going to get. Jason lives, uh, goes back to spelunking, and Picard gives him an ancient dildo as a present. He takes one long, last look at his not-son's hideous early 90s science fiction future clothes and sighs, warmed by the knowledge that this is the final season, and soon he will be off doing Shakespeare, where such heinous crimes against fashion are seldom seen or heard. Very nice. I, I have to ask, do you have special knowledge of Mr. Mott having a, a girl in every port, or is that just speculation on your part? <laughs> well, he kind of has to, you know, he's a barber. They have secret ways. Uh, maybe maybe he's the like... weirding ways of the barber. Like a barber <laughs> surgeon? Yes. <laughs> yes, like uh, like, like Garrick is a tailor... Spy. Uh, tinker tailor to a soldier spy. Right, exactly. He's the tinker tailor soldier spy. This... Mr. Mott's a tinker tailor barber... Surgeon. Love guru. <laughs> barber clown college. <laughs> guru. Right. Oh, God. You mean the Mike Myers movie? Oh, God, no. Ugh. Okay, then. Ugh. Hey, you brought oh, it up. I did not see that one. Feel bad enough about that? Yes, and when the when the Indian guy is on. Oh. oh God. Yeah, listen, we I I never saw that movie. I have nothing to do with that movie. And on behalf of all white people, I apologize, Michelle. <laughs> there was another movie before it produced by an Indian called The Guru, which was probably equally as bad. Oh, I remember that. So I, I apologize on behalf of brown people. Very well. Well, now we now we have a nice coming together of the cultures here. <laughs> That would make a great double bill. <laughs> Somebody needs to apologize for this episode because I did not care for this at all. Well, Memory right. Alpha didn't, which I was a little disappointed by. Uh, one of the writers said, oh, really? Yet another long-lost relative, huh? Yep. What, are we going to get Guinan's third cousin now? Yeah. Well, no, we've talked about this. This is definitely the season for it. Yeah. Guinan's third cousin, Guy Nancy. <laughs> Uh, this I Her it, hat is square. It's it's one of those episodes where it wasn't just it wasn't that it was particularly bad. It was just boring. Like Vishal yeah. said, it was so redundantly, repetitively redundant. Yes. With Bach, yes, it it was hard to find a good thing for this episode. Well, what did you yeah. what did you end up coming up with? Um, I wanted as usual to go with Patrick Stewart because that is always the default good thing. But sure. ooh, well, for for once, someone hits on Deanna Troy, and not only does she not fall in love with him, but she shuts him down so fast. I was half expecting the door closing to play. <laughs> that was fantastic. She's like, "Yeah, I came here to talk to you as ship's counselor. If you're not going to talk to me that way, I'm leaving." Yeah, because mm. he he's such a creep. He's, uh, this brings he's me to my a, bad thing. He, he's yes. written this way, but he's also just the worst. 
actor I've seen, like the worst guest star I've seen since like season two or so. He's he's that sort of outrageous Okana kind of like just bland. You know, coming up Go ahead. with the whole backstory for him while watching this, right? You know that he's he's not he's not even the kind of actor who would make it to Baywatch. He'd be on Pacific Blue, right? And then, and then, and then his name would be Troy. <laughs> he definitely looked like a Troy. He absolutely did. Rock climbing, vest wearing Troy. Troy Vigo. Troy Vigo. <laughs> Go on, Matt. Get your Vigo the references. The scourge of the Carpathians. <laughs> Thank you. The sorrow of Moldavia. All right. He is you Vigo. are like the buzzing of flies to him. Still hearing your references to that not very good movie better than this not very good episode. It's true. Mm. Uh, it just... it Picard's son from out of nowhere... And then the, the the kid who actually played him is just terrible. Mm-hmm. The the character's written been, badly. Go ahead. It would have been interesting if they got, you know, Picard's actual son from the inner light. <laughs> well, that was his actual, actual son. Yeah, actual, actual son. Which, you know, I was reluctant to say this at the convention just because he was in the same building as us and I didn't want it to get back to him. But uh, his kid's not a very good actor. No. no. Which would have been even better <laughs> Imagine that seizure scene with that guy. Oh, God. I am having a seizure. It occurred to me as you're describing how Jason is supposed to be that he they wrote him a bit like young Kirk. Mm. Yeah, kind of. He's sort of the cocky kid who's hitting on all the ladies and rock climb, extreme sportsing and all it's, that crap. It, it's like it's like he's he's he is aware of the fact that he's acting like Kirk. Like he's he's actually trying to imitate Kirk. Yeah, whereas Kirk is just totally smooth yeah all the time no matter what yeah exactly yeah it's like there's a big difference between acting like someone and just being that person but there is a there is a great sort of nerd thing there where picard is embarrassed of his son kirk kind yeah. of thing. you know what i mean, I mean like how different kirk would they have are. been all you know like oh counselor please counsel you know <laughs> yeah and he would have gotten under her skin like yeah. in his normal way he wouldn't have waited yeah. 5 seconds and then just started physically humping her right <laughs> I mean, listen, let's be honest. You know, Bones was the smooth one in that relationship, but still. Yeah. I miss Bones. Yeah, we all miss miss Bones. Bones. There's there's a hot ensign who's from uh, otherwise known as someone from Caroline in the City, the sitcom. Even when he's, he he sort of hits on her, but in this really creepy way where he like asks her first name and then tells her to buzz off. Right. Well, that was actually my good thing. Yeah. She is very, very pretty. I, I think that that is known in the pickup artist or what is it called? The seduction lifestyle parlance as negging. Yep. Uh, you're, you're, uh... Uh, oh, God. So, so, so and on top of everything else, Jason is a pickup artist. Uh, yes. Right. I only remember the movie The Pickup Artist with Robert Downey Jr. And I can't hate Robert Downey Jr. So. Was there a pickup in there? I, I don't actually know. <laughs> like a pickup truck? Yeah. Could be. I know the Transformer named Cup is named that because pickup truck. Oh. If, if we're going on tangents here, then... Uh, I, okay. Why do you like those robots again? Yeah, I, I can't defend them this time. <laughs> uh, my good thing was Picard makes the only bald joke of the entire series. Well, okay, the, there was that one in Rascals, but the only out loud bald joke in the entire series. Yes. And it's actually pretty funny. <laughs> it is. An excellent thing, and I think it—it it is my quote. That means something. There's some connection. Yeah. But one thing is clear: you'll never look at your hairline again in the same way. And Picard being badass is like a weekly thing. So yeah, actually, that's what you watch the show for? We we were talking about this. This season that hasn't had a lot of great Picard episodes, really. No. Really? I can't think of Matt. Do you remember the last good, like, solid Picard episode we had? Mm. Well, there were all those Beverly Ghost things to take care of. Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel like they wanted to give all the other characters their due, and mm. they did it very poorly. Yeah. Instead of just sticking to the one thing that they're good at, which is Picard story. I think the last good Picard story I can think of is the one you were on for last time, Vishal, which was mm. uh, Starship Mine. Mm. That was hard on the ship. Yeah, which yeah. was late season six, right? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
I can't, I mean, I might be forgetting one, but there hasn't been, like, if there have been, there haven't been enough memorable ones that any of us remember. Right. Yeah, not like Inner Light or any of those. No, we had a whole string of them there where it was like the Inner Light, Tapestry, Starship Mine, uh, God, there was another one like right in a row there where mm. it was just like they really nailed Picard and these were all the, the great Picard episodes. I think the chase was in there somewhere because that was about him and, and Galen and their whole uh, father-son thing. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. So this, but this, this does a good job of, and Matt, I, uh, no, this wasn't your good thing, but it was a good thing you talked about. Yes. Where you actually liked the whole, uh, Patrick Stewart, Picard, like, um, regretting not having a son kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a really good shot at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. After Jason leaves, and there's this look of regret on Picard's face where he's like, well, that, I, you know, I was actually kind of liking the idea of having a son. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, he no, was. Have one. He does play it sort of very wistfully, like, yeah. this is not season one Picard at all. We definitely have a different. Well, I mean, take I feel like this it. is sort of the Picard that's going to be leading into into generations. Generations, yes, especially. Which yeah. I, I always. That was another thing I always used to thought came out of nowhere, where no. he's sort of thinking about, you know, like the, the life he could he have had. Yeah, the life he could hmm. have had. No, and and also uh, spoilers for generations again. Uh, the fact that his uh, his only sort of heir, his nephew, dies. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the reasons I like generations is because that really is one of the only things hmm. that he has in in uh, common with Kirk. Is they do both I, have that tinge of regret of yeah. of the life they could have had. I I think I, I like generations as a Picard movie. It just does not need Kirk in it. Yeah, you're right about yeah, that. No. It's a it's a much stronger movie, and we can you can get to this in generations. But and we will. Yeah. yeah. No, I I agree. I like it as a Picard story. As Kirk's mm. just sort of there. I don't, yeah. Yeah, which is too to bad. Be. Yeah. Mm. Which is unfortunate. Um, that's that's sort of my bad thing about this episode as well. It's you know the the setup is nice. Picard has a son, and how he has to deal with the, all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since it's a bottle show, since you only have the same, you know, Paramount spelunking set. Right. And, you know, one Ferengi and uh, and one guy with bad hair. Ugh. You can't you can't do that plot justice with the bottle show. Right. Because it's only just uh let me uh, bond with my son. Let me ask other people about bonding with my son and then Data and Jordi will come and do some techno babble. And that's it. Yeah. So you're thinking it should have taken place on the planet. See, I can picture it Seriously. taking place on a bunch of really bad cave sets and running back and forth with flaming barrels, and it would have been even worse. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think about a cave set. I think it should have been like some, you know, decrepit mining town, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, – put Damon Bok in there. Just make him like a small-time gangster who has happened upon this. It doesn't even need to be Picard's son. It can be, you know, just the son of one of his ex-flames and – now he's, you know, threatening him with killing him and, right. and make Damon Bok an actual villain instead of just this cackling, not oh. even cackling, just, just horrible guy who just keeps showing up and well, and that, to- that leads into Matt's bad thing, actually. Yep. Hmm. Good God, Damon Bok is an embarrassing villain in this. Um, you go back to, uh, the battle. I actually really liked that character. I thought he was a really... Well, let's, let's be clear. Really interesting. You really liked him by the standards of season one. He's not, when you look yeah, back on the series, you're not going to say this was a classic villain of next gen. I'm not going to say the battle is an excellent episode, but I was intrigued by the idea of a non-Ferengi Ferengi. Right. Who was completely about vengeance, didn't give a shit about... Profit. You know, profit or anything. Profit. Right. And, you know, and it made him into like this sort of pariah in the Ferengi. Mm. civilization yeah um and then he disappeared for seven years like but i thought he was a really interesting bad guy and i actually wanted to see more of him so when he finally comes back he's really pathetic like all he does through the entire episode is prank call picard (laughs) (laughs) i suppose that's true hey jerky yeah basically like he's either shooting the same fucking probe at him every five minutes Mm -hmm. or he's hanging around inside of his quarters going i'm gonna get you and i'm gonna get your stupid ways like the like the probe that explodes and then leaves a message in Morse code. Yeah. It's like, what? And it's not it's not like a code or like it, I mean it's in Morse code, but it's not like a riddle or anything. It's just like yeah. I'm gonna get you. Riddle me this. That's all. Just, you will die. Just, just yes. Riddle yeah, me yeah, this. Yeah. I'm going to kill your son. Thank you. And Picard just said, "I have a son. I have a son. Oh no, no, I don't. No, he is Vigo. <laughs> the sorrow of." 
No, it's like, and the 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 plot is needlessly complex. Like, yep, the DNA the, resequencing he's thing. Resequences mm. his DNA, which, by the way, I don't know what that means. Nope. But I feel like it should do something more than give him seizures. Probably. Yes. Also, like, when? Yeah. At no point is, does this character even you know make any mention of you know what I blacked out there for a few days or weeks and yeah, I, I don't know what happened. I was wondering why I woke up with a hangover like a week ago and a different nose and like yeah. uh, you know and a, and a and a French accent right yeah. oh that's where it went it's a recessive gene. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I am Vigo. I am Troy. Je m'appelle Troy Vigo. <laughs> Voulez-vous coucher avec moi? <laughs> That's a callback to a whole other show. <laughs> I just, in general, it just felt like an unnecessary episode. It felt like following up on something that didn't really matter. No, I didn't. Yeah. I was not a fan of Bach. I didn't care. So, so even that for me didn't matter to me. And uh, Picard doesn't need a son, and he didn't have a son anyway. And it all just felt completely yeah. like a story they, that didn't need to be told. They already had two good characters. They had Picard, who. It would be interesting if you gave him someone, you know, a son-like figure to yeah. want to save. And you had Bok, who, like Matt said, is a pariah who is not interested in profit. Mm-hmm. You know, those are two very good characters to pit against each other in yeah. those situations. But in the middle, you had to have Troy. Just not Diana, who no. is for no. once not the bad thing in this episode, but no. Troy with a Y and yeah. Actually, we've been pointing out in in season late season six and pretty much all of season seven that Counselor Troy's been pretty good. Yeah, we, but, we've uh, come yeah. completely around on Troy. She's Crusher, on the other hand. Oh yeah, no, there's oh Crusher's there. makeup in this episode. We were all she looks this. like the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, just they did something to her eyes. I do not know why. Why? <laughs> yeah, she's a pretty woman, and they they yeah. with the right makeup, she looks quite nice, but not in this episode. She's got like a weird flat china doll face going on. Yeah. She's. She's almost Dr. Frankenfurter. Yes. <laughs> My, I would like uh, to see her in fishnets. Yeah. I think we'd right. like to see most people in fishnets. It's true. Yeah, pretty much the entire... Uh, the entire cast of... Uh, Except Jordy. <laughs> Except Jordy. I could, uh, Riker, Worf, no problem. Jordy, nope. eh, yeah. not so much. I he, wouldn't want him to not be in fishnets just because then he'd feel left out. Yeah, I don't want him to feel left out. I just don't want to see it. Shoot him above no. the waist like Elvis. <laughs> No, he could play the meatloaf character. Ladies and gentlemen, Jordy LaForge is gyrating hips. <laughs> uh, Thank you very much. Is that all you got? <laughs> all right. That is all I have to say about this episode. I found it boring and tedious. Yeah. What about you guys? I thought it was below average, but I didn't hate it as much as you did. I didn't hate it. I just thought it was boring and tedious. Yeah. This no, story like was four. Yeah. Yes. This story was written by the son of Carl Sagan, which is also a callback to the theme of this show. This is about fathers and sons. So it is. He also wrote uh, Attached, which also wasn't very good. Also, his voice is in space and is probably the thing that aliens are going to hear. That's true. Assuming- I think, yeah, his, his voice is on the Voyager probe. Right. No, I do, hey, I do a probe. That. That's another callback to this ah, episode. Ah, no wonder this guy is so probe happy. Because he's the only one of us who's been on a space probe for real. Oh, maybe the Voyager probe, <laughs> when it finds an alien, will explode and then the boss code will spell out, I kill your son. <laughs> <laughs> and Carl Sagan's like, oh no. Oh no. Except oh my he's, god. Except he's already Please, dead. Don't look for our pale blue dot. <laughs> We're just one planet among billions and billions. Billions and Go to those guys, they're dicks. <laughs> The Klingons are like, hey! <laughs> All right. Well, Michelle, always a pleasure to have you on. It's been uh, it's been too long. Indeed, it has. I'm I'm going to ask you a very pointed question now that uh, oh, you Lord. that you and I only have the knowledge of. Do you have anything to plug? Uh, maybe <laughs> depends on when this comes out. Uh, this comes out two days from the time we are recording it. Oh, well, then, shit, I have nothing. <laughs> Damn it, get to work on but, that thing. But, yes, but, please uh, visit com every day. Add it to your RSS reader if you're a Luddite like me. <laughs> uh, because pretty soon, hopefully, before the end of the year and before, you know, hopefully in a month or so, 
there will be a web comic site from me which i can i won't tell you the name of because you know there's nothing there yet and i don't want you to go there but uh, no but you and i have had some discussions and it sounds like a delightful yes. project and i'm looking forward to you doing it and i wish you would <sighs> fucking get to work on it <laughs> i will tell you publicly right now and this is the first time i'm saying it in public it will be seven web comics seven days a week okay for at least a year okay we're going to hold you to that. Okay. Somebody in the audience give Vishal a hard time about that because uh, I can't yes. do it by myself. Don't Please do. And he's an incredibly talented person. This is the guy, if you guys don't know this, uh, who who does all the cover art for our supplemental episodes and who created our damn fine logo. And uh, I created all your damn fine logos, it would seem. That's true. Mm-hmm. Every every show that I have now. Yes. Please please listen to the sarcastic voyage where I sometimes appear as creepy shop people. Oh, right. You're also you can also plug an, yes, another plug fine that. show. There you go. Sarcastic voyage, you say? Mm. What's this is that some kind of a some kind of a sketch comedy podcast that comes out every three weeks and delivers delightful original uh, sketch comedy? Why, yes, it is. <laughs> Did you last hear something weird and mystical? Well, now I would. Uh, as ever, our website, postatomichorror.com. Write to us, postatomichorror at gmail. We will be doing one of our supplemental shows when we're finished with the, uh, with the next gen, uh, movies. And I will be doing the cover art for that. He'll, he'll be doing the cover art. Fantastic. We are going to discuss our final thoughts on next gen. So if you have any questions for us, any specific things that you feel like we never addressed when we did D- or, uh, next gen before we push on to DS9, now is the time. Ask us. We would we would love to. Uh, y- you know us. We we will go down a rabbit hole and discuss this stuff for as long as it takes. Absolutely. Or we will talk about how cup means pickup truck. <laughs> Matt, tell the folks that you will see them. See you, cup. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2013. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.